to spend a, a little bit of time in Psalm 88. And I'll just tell you, this is, just a, this is not the beginning of a series. This is just a standalone sermon. And so I had a conversation with a man that's not a Christian, and I was talking about how the Lord suffered on our account. And he said, I don't, I don't want a God who suffers. I want a God who is powerful. And I, I don't want a God who suffers. And, and, and then I got to thinking about all that we talked about in our last sermon series, the sermon on the plane, and how the disciples suffered so much because they were following Jesus. And so I thought, what a, what a good Sunday to kind of tie all this together and talk about a very difficult topic, that of suffering. And so really, it, it is my goal that we leave here today with a better theology of suffering. And the Bible teaches that human suffering is universal. No one is exempt from human suffering. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. It doesn't depend on your race. It doesn't depend on where you live or what you do for a living. It, 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 it doesn't even matter what you believe about life. Christian, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. You can have all the faith that the Lord has given you and you're still not exempt from suffering. And so human suffering comes to all people. All people. And, and it comes in many different ways. Think of all that's going on in the world now with the war in Ukraine and all the people there that are suffering because of that. And think of a few weeks ago when the shooter walked into that school building in Texas and, and killed all the innocent children and teachers. But suffering is not something that's distant to us. It's, it, it's home too. It, it happens in our own homes when, when children are abused and abandoned. It happens when children are bullied in the school systems or on social media. It happens to parents when, 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 our, when our children disobey and do things to betray our trust. We suffer over that. It happens when, there, when there's racism and injustice in this, in this world. It happens when we lose our job and our ability to support our family. It comes through natural disasters, wildfires, hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods. It comes in the marriage covenant when a spouse is unfaithful and breaks the marriage covenant. It comes in sicknesses and diseases like the pandemic we're going through. And it especially comes close. Suffering especially comes close when we lose a loved one, no matter their age. And so the truth is that we will all suffer here on earth. And sometimes that suffering is because of personal decisions that we make. Bad decisions, and, and we will suffer because of those. Sometimes we suffer because of the, of the bad decisions that others around us make. But oftentimes the suffering we experience is because we don't know. For no apparent reason, out of, out, out of nowhere, suffering comes. And suffering is never easy. There's never any quick fixes. And there's never any easy answers. But today... This is what I want you to remember. Even, even if we, we can't see God's hand working in the, in the suffering that we're currently experiencing, when that fight is tough and tiring and painful and we're, we're on the verge of just giving up, I want you to hold fast to the faith that was given to you. And I want you to remember that the Lord is at work in your suffering. And that's where I want to end up today. So, so this morning, I want us to read Psalm 88. And it's a, it is a very prayerful, prayerful song written by Heman the Ezraite. And I want us to quickly get to know Heman just so we have a little context. And then I want us to look at what's maybe causing Heman's suffering. And then I want us to consider a question, why me? That's the question that Heman asked. And I believe that's a question that we often ask as well. Why me, oh God? Why are you allowing such suffering in my life? And finally, I want, I want, you, I want to consider an additional question. 
that I'll leave off until the end. And so let's read the text, and we'll start in the title, and we'll read all the way to the end. Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Maalath, Lenneth, a mascal of Heman the Ezraite. Verse 1, this is, what, this is the word of the Lord. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day and night before you. Let, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down in the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like the one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me, and you have made me a horror to them. I am, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands out to you. Do you work wonders from the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is the steadfast love declared in the grave or the faithfulness of the, in, in Abaddon? Are, are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, I cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assault destroys me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They, are, they close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Y'all pray with me, please. This is, this is heavy stuff. Lord, I, uh, we love you. We, we, we come to you thankful for your word this morning. We're especially thankful for the psalm that you have given us. Lord, and I pray that you work, you send your spirit to work mightily in us today. And, and through the hearing of your words that, that we are encouraged and built up to, to remain faithful in our times of suffering. Lord, we confess that all of our suffering is difficult and, and hard. And so we do cry out to you in times of suffering. And I pray more than anything that the, the gospel of your son Jesus may be made more real to the, us today than it was yesterday. Lord, so we confess that all, all of our suffering and all our pains, we bring them all to your feet. Lord, we ask for understanding and wisdom in those times. Lord, give us, give us a more faithful view of suffering this morning. Increase our faith and our love and our hope in you and in you alone. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as, as we consider a very difficult, difficult topic. Lord, do good this morning. And we ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get started. Who was, who was Heman the Israelite? And we can, we can tell from the title of the song that he was from the family of Korah. And, and we, we see that Heman was likely both a songwriter and a musician. But if we go to 1 Chronicles 25, we can see a whole lot about Heman. He, was, he, was very, he worked very closely with King David. And, and, and he, we learned that he was actually the grandson of Samuel. And Samuel was the last judge who anointed, who anointed King Saul and King David into their 
kingship. So he was, he was Samuel's grandson. We also learned that he was one of the main three, three musicians for worship that appointed by King David. Also over there, we learned that he had 14 sons and three daughters, and he, and he led them all to be musicians, and, and to, uh, he raised his family up well in those things. And, it, and his, and his music, musical family was very prominent, had, had, a, had a very prominent place in King David's reign. And Heman and his family were there, this is an example, were there when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. And, and he led the music during that celebration. And then if we go over to 1 Kings chapter 4, we see that, that Heman was, all, was also there during the reign of, of, of King Solomon, David's son. And so Heman was considered one of the wisest men in all of Israel. And, and he, so Heman was a musician, a sage, a Levite, a songwriter, a godly father, and a, and a tremendous influence on the people in the days of King David and King Solomon. And, it, and we read in verse 1 of our song that, 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 that Heman was... A godly man. He said, you, you are the Lord of my salvation. So he had experienced the salvation of the Lord. And I tell you all of these things to drive, drive home this point that no one is exempt from suffering. Heman was of the wisest and most noble man in all of the land. He was a man of God. But this psalm is probably the darkest psalm, probably the darkest passage in all of Scripture. And so my first question is, what, what was causing Heman suffering. And the text really doesn't tell us. It doesn't give us a lot of specifics. We'll look at some of them, maybe. But it doesn't give us a lot of specifics. But I, I would see that as, as grace to you all and to me. And that all, most of the Psalms never give us much, suffer, I mean, much specifics on the suffering of the psalmist. And so we can read those Psalms, fill in the blank with our own suffering, and see the grace of the Lord and be comforted in those things. And so we don't see a lot of details, but, but we can see a few things about his suffering. And I, and I think, I think they can, we can take comfort in these things. Uh, the, the, the first thing, I, someone once said, and this is very true and I want to use this, someone once said that, that suffering comes when we lose something of this earth that is important to us. Suffering comes when we lose something of this earth that is important to us. And so things like our health, a loved one, a job, our home, a retirement account, and even things like control, power, and prestige. When we hold those things up high and mighty and they go away, we suffer. And so we see in verse 8 and 18 that, that human's friends and family have been taken away from him. We see in verse 15 that his health is failing, that he's, uh, he's nearing death. But I think there's more to human suffering. I think there's a lot more to his suffering. We, we see the physical and emotional, but here's one thing that we often forget about. His soul is also suffering. And when we read this text, we see that loud and clear. And so not only does he feel like his friends and his family has abandoned him, but he also feels like God has abandoned him. And, and, the, and the, at the end of verse 1, he says, I cry out to you day and night. And in verse 9, he says, every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands out to you. And then in verse 13 and 14, he says, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayers are lifted before you. Then he asks a most heartfelt, impressing question. Verse 14, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? And so Heman's soul is, is troubled. He is, he is crying out to the God. He's crying out. He's crying out three times in this one song. I cry out to you day and night, O Lord. I cry out to you and I lift my hands to you and praise, O Lord. Every morning I lift my prayers to you, O Lord. 
Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? And I think Haman's suffering, the pattern that we see in Haman's suffering is not uncommon for us. Oftentimes our suffering comes because something of this world has been taken from us. We pray to the Lord, Lord, help us. Take this pain, take this suffering away from me. We don't hear from the Lord. Our soul begins to question God. God, do you hear me? God, do you care for me? God, are you, are you really good as your word says? And finally, we come to the same place that Heman comes and he, and he cries out, oh Lord, why did you cast me away? Why me? Those are great questions. And I would encourage you always to go to the Lord with your questions. I would. The Lord wants to hear from you. And so, and, and so the, the point there is I, I want you to know that the Lord can handle your hard questions, your crazy questions, your most out-of-this-world questions. Think, think of the hardest question you could ask the Lord right now. You have it in your mind? He can handle it. He can. He's not ever too busy for you. He doesn't ever have bigger problems to take care of. He cares for you. He's your good father. He wants you to cast your cares upon him. And he wants to be your help in a time of need. In fact, I would argue that our ability or inability to ask God hard questions says a lot about our relationship with the Lord and what we believe about him. There's nothing too big for you to ask the Lord. There's nothing too troubling for you to ask the Lord. So I encourage you all to, to call on the Lord in your times of need. And so, so why does God allow a seemingly righteous man to suffer so much? And so this was Heman's question in this prayerful song. That is often our question in our prayers to God. Why, God, are you allowing such tragedy, such pain, such difficulty in my life? Lord, I'm tired. I'm defeated. I'm weary. Please make all of this stop. Why are you hiding your face from me? Why are you not answering my prayers? So why does God allow all this to happen? And let me start by giving us two ditches to steer clear of. Two ditches that we have to stay out of when asking God questions. And the first one is, well, we don't want to make God a debtor. And the second one is, we don't want to ignore God altogether. So how do we make God a debtor? A few years ago, a close friend of mine walked away from the faith. I still remember our conversation. He told me that all of his life he had done everything he could to please God. He volunteered in the youth farm and he volunteered in the praise team. He went to seminary. He received his degree. He was ordained into the ministry. And then tragedy struck. His mother became ill. She passed away. And I remember him saying, why couldn't God heal my mom? I asked him to, but he didn't. And I remember his anger asking, is, is this how God treats the people that served him all of his life? And he became weary and tired of doing the right things. And without pause, he just walked away from the faith. I can relate to how my friend felt. 
Because I often have written these unilateral, these, 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 these contracts, one-sided contracts with the Lord, or I ask the Lord to do something if, if, if I do something in return. Or if I do something, will He do something for me in return? But I had a problem. I functionally believed that I could do something good and God owed me something. And so that's how we make God a debtor. God is not a God that we can manipulate. He doesn't. He's not a debtor. He's not a debtor to us to our good works or anything else. What about the other ditch? What about those who ignore God altogether in their suffering? So these people might say, there is no God. Everything that happens in this world happens by chance. It's all luck. Or it's all bad luck. There is no God. And when they think that way, when suffering comes, they heap it all on their shoulders and they feel like they've got to solve all the problems. Or... or if they do believe in God, they, they will hold a very deistic view of God and say, God did, there is a God. He did create everything, but then he left the scene and left everything up to us. We are to fend for ourselves. It is a survival of the fittest world. And so the problem with both of these views, both of these ditches, is that neither of them believe that God is absolutely in control. The person trying to manipulate God says, I'm, I can control my suffering. I, I don't deserve suffering if I do enough good. And God will protect me and he will protect my loved ones. The, the one who sees no God or a very distant God sees life as all, all on his shoulders. Everything's up to me. And do you see how both of these systems of thought are very self-focused? And both of these systems of thought make humanity or trying to make humanity in charge. We're just not. And I don't think as dark as Heman's psalm is, that's not where he lands. Look at verse 6. Listen to what he says. He says, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Do you hear what he's saying? He's, he's saying, you, referring to God, you, God, put me in the depths of, of this pit. Your wrath is heavy upon me. You have caused my companions to shun me. Heman knows that he's talking to a God who is in control of everything, even his present suffering. And, and I believe this truth is not troubling him, but comforting him. I don't sense that, that, that Heman ever uh, th 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 I don't sense that he thinks that God ever left him because I think that would fly in the face of the whole purpose of the psalm. I sense that he's, trying, that he's not trying to overcome his suffering on his own through his own good works or trying to make God a debtor to him. I think he's crying out to the one who is sovereign and in control of all things. The God of his salvation, verse 1 says. And that is where he is finding comfort. Now, I don't want us to leave this conversation thinking that God is the author of evil, because he's not. We have to hold all of Scripture together. And so if we go to the book of James and we look at chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says that, that all good things come from the Lord. And, and speaking of the Lord, he said there's no shifting, there's no shadows of variation, there's, there's none of that. And so God is only good, and we have to hold on to that. And then when we go to um, the book of Job, and we see, we see Job's suffering there, and we, and, we, and we know that it is not God that caused Job's suffering, but we do see that it is, it, is, it, is, it is God that allowed Job to suffer. And I believe this truth is applicable in this psalm for, for Heman as well. 
I found a tweet by John Piper, believe it or not, and he was talking about Psalm 88. And let me read it to you. He said, Psalm 88 is often cited as a lament in which there is no express resolution. That's true. What is seldom mentioned is that there is not a whiff of doubt in the psalmist's mind that God totally governs all the evil in his life. So, so Heman is crying out to God, asking him, why me, God? Because he believes God is in control. We, we don't see that, that he has received an answer, but I sense that he's taking comfort in, in who God is. That he is a sovereign God in control of all things. And that he's good and only good. So the next point I want us to see is, 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 is the reason for our suffering. When we think about the reason for our suffering is that God allows suffering in our lives to deepen our faith and love for him. Suffering, hear me on this, suffering is always a spark for change. And no one is exempt from that rule. It will, it will either cause you to run into one of those two ditches or it will deepen your love for God. Suffering is always a spark for change. So, so, so think back to my friend that walked away from the faith. And remember, he saw his relationship with God as very transactional. Since, since he had lived a righteous life, and since his mother had to, God should have healed her. And what's happening there? Well, my friend thought that he was in control of his suffering. He thought he was in control of God and his good works with his, with his righteous life. He served God all of his life so that God would do something for him in return. Now, when we do this, and we do, do we really love God for who He is? Or do we love God for the things He can give us? Health, healing, happiness, wealth, even well-behaved children. And so suffering has a way of, of revealing our motivations of our heart, and God knows this. So let's, let's say you're, you're serving God and there's, there's no blessing from God. that you keep serving Him? And let's say you're, you're serving God and you're serving well. And not only is there not a blessing, but add suffering to it. Do you continue to serve Him? And I think, I think one of the most pressing ways that we know that our, that our love is genuine and growing deeper and deeper for God is when we serve Him expecting nothing in return. And we continue to serve Him in the face of suffering. Just like the early disciples did. So, so what, is, what is God doing in these times then? He's teaching us to trust Him and to stop trusting ourselves. Teaching us to trust Him as, as our sovereign and good God. So when, when God doesn't answer our why questions about our suffering, when He doesn't come through with that miraculous healing, as is the case with Heman, and is often the case with us, He's cutting away our self-serving hearts. And he's teaching us to love him and to trust him in all things, especially in our suffering. Jesus told us that we would have suffering in this world. And so not only should we expect it, but based on this truth, I would encourage you to embrace that suffering. That knowing you're suffering, that the Lord is at work in your heart. And he's molding you more and more and day by day into the image of his son. So I believe this is where Heman lands. He's really in the midst of a terrible time. He's hurting, he's sick, his family and friends have abandoned him, and he feels if God has left him. But while dark, there are no signs in this psalm whatsoever that he's giving up. 
And the best I can tell it is that in the heat of this battle, he remained steadfast, depending upon the Lord and trusting the Lord. And it seems as, 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 as if he continued in the faith, not expecting anything in return from God. And when his suffering ceases, and it will, he'll be able to look back on the other side of the suffering and say, I see how the Lord was at work. He will. And I, and I can hear, if he even had the New Testament, he, if he lived in the age that we, were, that we were blessed to live in, I can hear him reading from John, I can hear him saying, Simon Peter's very own words from John six sixty eight, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have to come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I can hear him continuing to read from, from Romans 5, starting in verse 2. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering always changes us. We are never exempt from the chains when we experience suffering. And we'll either remain faithful, just as, this, just as this, these verses said, growing in our endurance, growing in our character, growing in our hope, growing in our faith and love for God, or we will crash into one of those two ditches. So that's the why question. And I encourage you to call out to the Lord and ask Him this why question. He wants to hear from you. But I think there's another question we should ask. And maybe we don't ask this question enough. And that question is, why you, O oh Lord? Why did you enter this evil world and suffer? Why you, Lord? We always ask why me, and we should. But do we ask why you, Lord? Why did you enter this evil world and suffer? And the short answer is this, because he loves you so much that he wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. And so what does God need? Why does God need to forgive us? Well, well, earlier I said that suffering is often the result of losing something of this world that is important to us. We saw that in Heman's life. We see that in our lives. We, when we lose things like control over our children or our health or our job and our ability to provide or a retirement account or a relationship, I suspect far too, too often we, or at least I do, I build my life on those identities. My life is built and maintained and centered on all those kind of things. And when they're taken away, it hurts. It causes suffering. And the truth is we are all built that way. We are all prideful. We're all self-centered in some form or fashion. And God knows this and he wants something better for us. And so I think it was Paul David Tripp said this. We are always preaching some gospel to ourselves. There's always some good news that we're preaching to ourselves, And far too often it is the gospel of self. That we, can that we can pull our bootstraps up a little bit further. We can muster up enough willpower and we can get through it. And we think we could do those things in, in, in order to manipulate God and, and, and make God a debtor to us where he owes us something good. And this worship of self... This pridefulness is why the Lord wants to forgive us. That's, that's what's in our heart. 
And so what did the Lord do to forgive us? And, and well, he, he takes away the gospel of self and he replaces it entirely with the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate gospel, the best good news that any of us in here can ever hear. There's not a greater report. There's not a, a, a greater bit of news that any of us in here could ever hear than the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And he and he loves you so much. You've sinned. You've tried to do it all on your own, but he still loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to this earth. And while he was here, he faced every temptation that we face. And yet he was without sin and he suffered I want you to hear this. We often think of Jesus' suffering only in the moments leading up to his death. Jesus also suffered in his life. And he was still without sin. He was rejected and mocked by his own people. He was seen as a nobody in Nazareth. He, he, was, he was opposed and plotted against by all people. Even, even one of his closest disciples, one of his closest friends, betrayed him. Turned his back on him. Denied who he was. He was without a home. He suffered from hunger and he wept as his people were being led astray. Jesus suffered in his life. And I think that's why the inspired author of Hebrews could write this in chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Since we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with, with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We don't serve a God that is unsympathetic. He came to this earth and during his life he suffered tremendously. He wept. He wept for his people. He can relate to everything that we go through. That's the kind of God we worship. He's not some distant, foreign God, but He's a God that came close and experienced everything that we experience, and yet He was able to do it without sin. And I think the book of Philippians continues to teach us this truth. Chapter 2, starting in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only, uh, let each one of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of men, and being found in human form. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. And so Jesus did. He lived a, a perfect life in the face of trials, in the face of disappointments, in the face of suffering. Yet it, he did all of these things without sinning. And according to the will of God, at the foreordained time, he willingly and obediently went to the cross, died taking on the sins of all, of all who would ever believe in him. That's good news. Let me try to make this point a little more from our text. In Psalm 88... Uh, back to our text in verse 18, Heman writes this. He says, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And so Heman felt as if God had abandoned him and the darkness and despair had overcome him. 
And I can't help, when I read that, I, I couldn't help but think of the moments leading up to Jesus' death. From Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. Now this is the sixth hour where darkness was over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is, this, that is, my God, my God, why have, you, why have you forsaken me? And we certainly face dark times in this world. We suffer greatly because of them. And because of them, we do feel as if God has abandoned us. We may really feel that way. But he hasn't abandoned us. Listen to me. God loves us so much that he abandoned his son in our place. It was Jesus who faced that darkest moment in history. And it was Jesus who received the very wrath of God that we deserved. Because of our self-centered pride, our sinfulness against a holy and a just God, because we believe we could save ourselves through our own good works, because we thought we could manipulate God or ignore God altogether, we deserve that death that Jesus suffered. We do. But here's the good news. Jesus did not abandon you. He died for you. And, and, and since Jesus suffered this ultimate sacrifice in the darkest moment of history, you can know that God is with you in your darkest moments on this earth. In your darkest moments, I want you to remember God's promise to never leave you and to never forsake you. To promise to, be, to always be with you. But wait a minute, there's still more good news. Isn't this great? Jesus' life and his death are not the end of the story. There's still more grace to come. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and he defeated sin. He defeated any suffering that we face. He defeated death and he defeated the author of evil, Satan himself. And, And so let's look one more time at our psalm, verses 10 through 12. And Heman writes this. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? I believe, I believe um, Heman in his darkness here is being maybe a little sassy with God in his questions. Um, maybe being a little bit of a, a smart aleck with God, and we have to show him some grace because he doesn't, at this point in time when he's living, he doesn't know God's full redemptive plan. But we do. And on this side of the cross, when we try to answer those questions, it's an astounding yes. We know that because of Jesus' perfect life and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, that one day the dead will rise. And they will sing glorious phrases to our Lord. That is the day that's coming. And right now our king is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's reigning and ruling over all things. One day he's coming back. And he will right every wrong. And he will do away with any amount of suffering. Any suffering that we've ever experienced will be made no more. And he's coming back. And when he does, the dead will be raised to life. And he, and, and he will judge the living and the dead and those who believe the gospel of his son and not the gospel of self will live forever with him. There's no greater news. He will remake this heaven and this earth. There will be no more suffering. 
We will be in complete fellowship with our Father. Nothing broken. We'll live in harmony with one another. That is a day I long for, and I know you do too. So one final question. What do we do in our time of suffering? Ultimately, I want you to remember the last question I gave you. Why you, O Lord? I want you to remember the gospel and that he loves you. And I want you to hold hold tightly to the faith that he's given you. And I want you to hold tightly to all of his promises. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to offer you forgiveness through faith in his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day and we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this this word of of truth. Um, Lord, it is is true that life here on earth is is difficult. It causes great suffering and harm. But we we have you who sent your son to die in our place to take our suffering away from us in that long way today. And so, Lord, I pray that your word encourage us today in our times of suffering. When maybe some of us are not suffering, Lord, but, but we know that it's coming. And so, Lord, I pray that you press your word into, into our hearts so that we remember how good you are, that you are in control, and you are working all things together for your good. Jesus, we love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.